This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, And it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, President Biden reaches a deal with Vladimir Putin to free an American. But where does this high-stakes diplomacy lead? Basketball star Brittany Griner woke up at a military facility in Texas this morning after nearly 10 months behind bars in Russia. Meanwhile, Putin steps up his nuclear threats and plunges Ukraine into darkness as the cold sets in. We'll check in this morning with House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff and unpack security concerns at home and abroad with two former top national security officials, Fiona Hill and Chris Krebs. Then, President Biden has declared hostage-taking a national emergency, as dozens of other Americans are held by hostile countries around the world. We'll hear from the family of Ahmad Shargi, detained in Iran since 2018. Plus... Therefore, we should be thinking about how can America do great in the next 100 years. The CEO of America's largest bank on the resilience of the U.S. economy and the storm clouds ahead. A wide-ranging conversation with Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. With an historic midterm election finally over, Congress is set to take on unfinished business, including finalizing the investigation into the attack on the U.S. Capitol. But we want to begin with the latest on Russia. Joining me now is the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. That's Congressman Adam Schiff, who also serves on that select committee investigating the January 6th attack. It's good to have you here in person. Thank you. Great to be with you. Uh, Chairman Schiff, uh, Vladimir Putin said on Friday that it was the FSB, Russian intelligence in the CIA, that had contact to negotiate this prisoner swap of Brittany Griner for Victor Boot, the arms dealer. Um, what did you think of this trade and why did Vladimir Putin want Boot so badly? Well, I'm thrilled that uh, Brittany Griner is home. I think whenever an American hostage is released, it's cause for celebration. Um, but uh, it's hard. Uh, two other Americans, uh, Paul Whelan and Mark Fogel, remain uh, held in Russia. Uh, and whenever you trade an innocent American for a guilty Russian, uh, it's an incentive to other 
despots to uh, essentially grab an American, use them as a bargaining chip. Uh, so it's, it's hard. Um, and I, I'm so impressed with uh, both the Whalen and Fogel families for their uh, gratitude that one American is free, uh, but we need to continue working. I know the Biden administration is to release these others. Uh, in terms of Putin, um, he gets an arms dealer back. Uh, he also knows that he can just roil the American body politic by picking one uh, to send back to the United States uh, and leaving others uh, uh, in custody in Russia. He knows just what that will stir in the United States of America. So uh, this is calculated on his part. Um, but look, uh, you know, for Russian citizens watching this, um, I don't think they're particularly thrilled to get an arms dealer back. Mm -hmm. uh, and what they're most concerned about right now is they're being used for cannon fodder in Ukraine. Um, so uh, this is a uh, an effort to just Royal America. Yeah. Um, and well, that's, I think, what that. he gets out of it. Yeah. He, he certainly, it certainly kicked up a lot of political blowback. But Vladimir Putin also did say more swaps are possible, which, of course, raises hope for Paul Whelan. But as you just said, you believe this trade does incentivize hostage taking. It puts a higher price on the head of your average American and certainly an American celebrity as Brittany Griner was. I think all Americans have to realize that whenever they go to a place like Russia or Iran or North Korea, that they stand the chance of being grabbed for no reason at all except to be used as a as a political chip. Um, and it ought to make all of us think long and hard before going to these places. These are despotic regimes that have no uh, no uh, uh, view of the sanctity of human life or human rights, and they will do whatever they need to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Biden administration is moving forward to try to sanction those that are involved in this kind of hostage taking. But that only goes so far in the best of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, Secretary Blinken said he was working with about 60 different countries to try to form some sort of alliance here. But um, every time you get a prisoner swap, it sort of works against that. Uh, it does. I mean, this is why they're hard. Uh, and, you know, I think for some of my colleagues in Congress, it's easy for us in the cheap seats to say, uh, I would have gotten a better deal. I would have right. gotten them all out. But unless you're sitting where President Biden is uh, and you know exactly, you know, what the state of the negotiations are, you really can't uh, mm -hmm. you can't claim that this wasn't uh, appropriate. Um, uh, that's the responsibility that comes when you occupy the Oval Office. Um, we also heard from Vladimir Putin uh, that he said it was President Biden's idea for the head of the intelligence service to meet with CIA director Bill Burns, as they did um, a few weeks ago. Do you think that contact should continue at that level? And uh, what is it that you think the intelligence community needs to be most focused on, as we heard Putin again twice in the past week, uh, a saber rattle when it comes to the nuclear program? I think there are circumstances in which it is uh, valuable to have our head of intel meet with their head of intel, even when uh, the Russians are at war in Ukraine and we are strongly backing Ukraine. Um, there's a long history of this, of these kind of private you know, communications to keep the lines open, to make sure that we don't get into a direct shooting war with Russia, that we don't get into some kind of a nuclear confrontation. Uh, we are lucky to have Bill Burns, who is uh, a career diplomat, who mm -hmm. happens to be the head of the CIA now, uh, engage in those kind of discussions. So I do think they can be very valuable. Do you think the risk of direct conflict is growing? I, I think it is growing. Uh, I think it is manageable. And I think the Biden administration has done a remarkable job in managing that and not letting it 
get out of hand. Um, but you see Putin continue to rattle the nuclear saber, which is extremely mm -hmm. dangerous. Uh, it, it can't deter us, though, from giving our full and complete support to Ukraine. They are fighting valiantly, and democracy itself, uh, I think, is the, the cost of this struggle. I want to ask you about democracy here at home. As we mentioned, you were on that January 6th committee, and I understand you have a meeting today. Uh, Chairman Thompson had said at 1 p.m. there's going to be a d sort of report passed from one group to the main committee about criminal referrals. Uh, reportedly on that list, former President Trump, former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, Jeffrey Clark, John Eastman. Is there a consensus on whether to send a referral for criminal prosecution to the Justice Department? And would doing that be anything more than symbolic? Uh, you know, I think we are in common agreement about what our approach should be. I'm not uh, ready or authorized at this point to tell you what that is. Uh, we are, as a subcommittee, um, several of us that were charged with making the recommendation about referrals, going to be making that recommendation to the full committee today. Um, we will be releasing our report, I think, around the 21st. Mm -hmm. uh, that will include whatever decision we've made on referrals. Um, what I can tell you about the process is we're looking at what is the quantum of evidence that we have against individuals? Uh, what is the impact of making a referral? Uh, are we going to create some suggestion by referring some that uh, others uh, there wasn't sufficient evidence? when we don't know, for example, what evidence is in the possession of the Justice Department. So if we do make referrals, we want to be very careful about how we, we do them. Um, but I, I think we're all certainly in agreement that there is evidence of criminality uh, here, uh, and we want to make sure that the Justice Department is aware of that. But don't we already know that? I mean, there is a Justice Department investigation. There's a special counsel looking into the former president. We know the DOJ has been looking into uh, Mark Meadows and Rudy Giuliani. So what does the committee sending a referral do other than look political? Well, uh, look, uh, we have been far out ahead in most respects of the Justice Department in conducting our investigation. I think uh, they have made use of the evidence that we have presented in open hearings. I think they'll make use of the evidence that we pre present in our report to further their investigations. Uh, and I think it makes an important statement, uh, not a political one, but a, a mm -hmm. statement about the evidence of an attack on the institutions of our democracy and the peaceful transfer of power that Congress examining an attack on itself is willing to report uh, uh, criminality. So I think it's an important decision in its own right mm -hmm. if we go forward with it um, and one that the department ought to give due consideration to. All right. Chairman Schiff, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Jamie Dimon is the CEO of America's largest bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, and he's been a pillar of Wall Street for decades. We caught up with him a few days ago in Baltimore, and among other things, we asked him about America's position in a tumultuous global economy. This moment we are in feels like a transition point, an inflection point, and I wonder how you think about where America is at this moment. America is the most prosperous nation the world's ever seen. Our basic principles of freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion uh, are, are unbelievable. The innovation is unparalleled anywhere around the world. So start with that. It's an amazing position of strength. Mm -hmm. The economy is going through a bunch of things, and we don't, we don't always really know whether you have a mild recession or hard recession. And if it happens, we're going to be fine. I, I feel bad, terrible for people to lose jobs. We want to keep it as short as possible. I do think you're right about a turning point, but that turning point is about geopolitics. That's about Ukraine, oil, Russia, war, migration, food, 
uh, national security, China, trade, that whole bucket of things. And I'd put in that category quantitative tightening, which is basically reducing liquidity in the banking system of the world, that that is actually, forget us for a second, that is, it could be very difficult, high dollar, the dollar going up, higher rates, and quantitative tightening on smaller countries around the world. The and World so, Bank and the IMF have been warning about this yes, for a while. Yes, and so I'm saying you got to put that whole mix in which is happening in geopolitics. Ukraine is a turning point where, you know, maybe all this illusion that we had that somehow the world's at peace and everything's going to be fine, that should have been shattered. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we should be thinking about how can America do great in the next hundred years? What policies should we have? When I uh, looked at your last shareholder letter, which I know you take a direct role in writing. Right. Word, I write every word. Well, that was April. I get so. help, but I write every word. <laughs> you, um, everyone, everyone goes through a process in thinking through these things. And when you ranked uh, some of the things worrying you, Ukraine was right up there yeah. with all the domestic issues. That was right after the war started. Yeah. Now we're at a point where some would look and say, okay, it wasn't the worst case scenario in Europe in terms of severe recession. They're finding ways to get oil and gas elsewhere. Do you think in the same way now as you did then Absolutely. in terms of risk? I think risk? even more so. Really? I mean, that's a false sense of security that you've had this war going on you know, for nine months or whatever, and that somehow it's okay. Oil prices went way up. Europe's going to recession. Migration has been extraordinary. Mm -hmm. you, you haven't seen the full effect of food prices around the world. If you go to Europe, they, they would, they're taking this much more seriously than Americans are. Uh, they're on the front line. You have those missiles going to Poland. You have new, you know, basically nuclear blackmail. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is as serious as you can get. So we should all hope it goes away, that there's some kind of armistice or settlement you know, that, that's good for Ukraine, by the way. The danger of this war is extraordinary. And, and it can go on for years. But this oil and gas thing, it looks like you know, the Europeans will get through it this winter. Mm -hmm. But this oil and gas problem is going to go on for years. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, if I was a, a, you know, in the government or anywhere else, I'd say I have to prepare for getting much worse. I hope it doesn't, but I would definitely be preparing for it to get much worse. What does that look like to you in terms of what should be prepared for on the energy front? On the energy front, we need secure, reliable, cheap oil and gas. The problem, you know, a lot of people think that oil and gas price being high is good for CO2. It's not. So cheap, reliable, you see, you're looking at Germany. I mean, the Europeans are terrified. Their, their energy prices are two, three, four, five times ours, mm -hmm. which is hurting consumers, which the governments have to do something about, and it's hurting businesses, you know, and, and, and it's just started. And the, so the pain and suffering couldn't get a lot worse. So, and the other, it has the benefit, lower prices have the benefit of having more production, okay? They have the benefit of helping poor nations, lower income individuals, uh, our allies who are desperate for more secure uh, energy mm -hmm. and CO2 because quite predictably carbon emissions. carbon emissions because quite predictably carbon emissions are going up because nations rich and poor around the world are turning on back on their coal plants. Mm -hmm. They cannot afford expensive energy and they can't afford no energy. So, you know, to me, to so solve climate, we kind of need all the above permitting plants, Gas is the best and cleanest way to reduce coal, which is mm -hmm. the best way to reduce CO2. So we are really thoughtful policy, comprehensive policy will get us there. But it also is military policy, economic policy, including trade. So when I say economic, I'm talking about, you know, trade is one thing, but economic is investment rights. Uh, so, so anything that relates to national security will have to be re-changed. Ch President Biden has called it Putin, Putin's price spike, but... He's also blamed price inflation on corporate profits. Yeah. And I know this irritates you. Yeah. Um, 
you've argued energy costs are not high because of price gouging, but because of the dramatic decline in investments in energy, which results in reduced supply when demand goes up. So if that's true, what is it going to take to increase lending uh, to companies so they can make those investments? This is a little more complicated now because yeah. part of it is the companies don't want to do it. Why? You know, well, part, part of it, when people talk about excise profit tax, that's one. They can't get permits done. They can't get leasing and stuff like that. And part of it is their investors are putting a lot of pressure on them. You know, that I, you know, that to go green. To go green, but not to invest too much capital where you're not making a profit with oil at a, at a high price. Right now, it's come down considerably, mostly because China's slowed down and Europe's going to recession. And that people think there might be a world recession, so the future price of oil is going right. down. Those things will reverse. And this underinvestment oil and gas, it will hurt you two or three years out. It's quite predictable, but it's not today. And so we have time. You know, I, I'm hoping the administration, you know, they're looking at all these issues. I've spoken to John Podesta, who now runs the, the uh, uh, IRA Act, mm-hmm. about what we can do to accelerate, to reduce CO2, but have better, cheaper, more secure energy, not just for us, but for our particular allies around the world. I think we need, I've called a Marshall Plan for Energy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's got to be all of the above and all the people involved. But the IRA, you referred to the Inflation Reduction Act, that's just a sliver of what you're imagining for a Marshall yeah, Plan. Yeah, no, and that's a, that is a huge, I mean, we're still studying every piece of it that, <laughs> for, for renewables and EVs and, mm-hmm. and a lot of, of different things, but it, it's not just that. It's the infrastructure we're building, it's, it's competition around the world, it's access to rare earths, I mean, when you dig into it, it's a really complex thing. Those are the, the, things, the, the ingredients needed for electric vehicles exactly. that China has a monopoly on right now. They, they have a monopoly in production, not on uh, where it is. So we have rare earths in America. Right. Whether we can produce them here or not, because of certain laws and requirements, that's a different issue. We need to build grids. You know, we don't get permissions to, you know, permits to build, build grids. So you know, one of the deals that was done between the president and Joe Manchin was the permitting bill. Mm-hmm. That permitting bill is for pipelines we need to get gas to Louisiana, to get that Louisiana gas to Europe to help our allies and reduce the cost there. That also reduces their coal usage. So it's very green if you look at it uh, on the margin. And so it, it, gets, it gets very complicated and we just need to do the work. Are people here hearing what you're trying to explain in terms of market dynamics and investment? Yeah. So I think it's sometimes justifiable when people talk across each other because damage was done. There was damage done in the financial crisis. Not all the big banks would have failed and not everyone was equally guilty and all that, but. And then, of course, things people have simple political slogans that you know get them right. elected or something. But uh, I think there's a lot of talk. We talk all the time to the Biden administration at multiple levels, and we should. You know, I'm going to help any president do try to do the best job for America, and those conversations are, are pretty intense. You had said in this country you were happy about the midterm results. On both parties, the kind of the the wing nuts didn't get elected, and there. So the rational thing when I was just in Congress, I was gratified by the the thought they want to make progress, and I think they can make progress. So, so we're days away from this government funding deadline, um, and Congress is going to have to pass a bill to avoid a, a shutdown. The yeah. risk is once power shifts come January that it could become Yeah, I a would say government problem. funding, look, it's not the way to could run be a used as It's leverage. not the way to run a railroad. I mean, basically, you end up spending much more money, too, because the American public, I know, you pay people, and then you pay them more to come back to work. It mm-hmm. costs us much more money. So even if you want to be fiscally responsible, it's not a good idea. The debt ceiling is, you're talking about June of next year, and we'll deal with that later. Right. Well, there's some debate about whether it should be done now in these last few weeks I, while Democrats still have control I to avoid that kind of it, They should, because the catastrophic effects of an, of an actual default, mm-hmm. not the debates, I understand both sides, why they want to, how they want to use it, is that's catastrophic. 
or, or potentially catastrophic. I would never take that risk. So if, for me, yes, I'd get it done now. Take, take it off the table. So you said back in 2019 on CNBC, my heart is Democratic, but my brain is kind of Republican. <laughs> the world's changed a lot since 2019. I wonder what, what you were thinking right now. I, I'm kind of the same place. Uh, I just think we need rational policy, mm-hmm. you know, really rational policy. And that, a lot of that policy is not Democrat or Republican. Getting proper infrastructure built is not Democrat or Republican. We should all acknowledge that inner city schools don't work particularly well in a lot of areas. Half the kids don't graduate. That's not Democratic or Republican. That's acknowledging the problem and then talking about solutions. Healthcare, we have the best in the world. Hell, I'm a beneficiary of it. But we also have some of the worst. It costs almost 20% of GDP, 50 million people uninsured, huge obesity, high blood pressure, things, mm-hmm. a lot of things which are fixable. And I, you know, I can go on and on and on. We need good policy. You know, good, and, and no policy is sometimes bad policy. Face the Nation will be back in one minute with more from our interview with Jamie Dimon. Stay with us. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design plus as an audible member choose one title a month to make yours forever and now new members can try audible free for 30 days just visit audible.com slash wondery pod or text wondery pod to 500 500 that's audible.com slash wondery pod or text WONDERYPOD to 500-500. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Here's more of our interview with J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon. I want to ask you about China. Uh, it looks like they are loosening some of their COVID restrictions, yep. maybe moving away from COVID zero. How do you see this impacting the long and short term? I think they want to get their economy going again. And that's a function of capital COVID laws, trade, and things like that. And they've just started to have real conversations, or they said they're going to with the Biden administration. The most important thing about China and America is that we actually talk, that we actually get engaged at a detailed level about where we agree, where we disagree, uh, and try to resolve these things, then also work on some of the things we got to do together. Climate, terrorism, nuclear proliferation, uh, bioterrorism, that's in all of our interest to fix those problems. And you can't do it without America and China. Because it's not just the second largest economy in the world. Our countries are incredibly intertwined. They're incredibly intertwined. But, you, but you, what you really need is American leadership to, to do this and to bring our allies in. Mm-hmm. If we do it just bilaterally, it will not work. If we, it, because the Chinese will go negotiate separate, better deals with you know, God knows how many different countries. So we need to do it kind of in combination with allies. So the U.S. and China are in direct competition, and the chances of conflict are, are rising on the national security front. Um, the former Goldman Sachs CEO and Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson has warned the two economies are just too intertwined to separate at this point. How do you 
think about that and the increased conversation about trying to find separate supply chains and weaning ourselves right. off of, of cheap Chinese manufacturing. Yeah. What, what we need is tough negotiations. And you've already mentioned, so national security, that's going to be about semiconductors, rare earths, penicillins. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's unilateral. The Chinese do that. We do it. Uh, most businesses support it. That gets very complicated. We talk about export controls and investment controls. But basically, the government's working with people like us and a lot of other companies. But how do you implement something like that, that's, that that is good for national security but doesn't diminish American business doing well overseas? Some of that alternative will be that we need better development finance, better diplomacy. Uh, we need better rules around how banks or companies could go down and invest in foreign countries uh, to do things that make sense. But and you're just saying the State Department and those other sort of softer bits of diplomacy need to be beefed up. Uh, immediately. Well, when you talk about, and you reference their investment in semiconductors here, electric vehicles, that kind of thing, that's part of the Biden administration's domestic economic yeah, yes. revitalization, but it is national security policy as well. There are some critics who say that that's causing a little bit of mar market distortion there. It, it does. I think, look, you know, this stuff gets complicated. And remember, it gets written by Congress. And right. so the body is pretty good, but it has really irritated the Europeans because it's by America, build America. It's a huge disadvantage for, you know, a part of the world we need really very good relations with. The president did say we can tweak it and modify it. And, and the electric I, vehicles. And, and I think like that. that could be done. Yeah. But the, here's the really important part of this. It's not just that. If Europe goes its own way in trade, and they said they're going to do their own IRA bill, mm -hmm. be their own trade block, buy America, buy Europe, build Europe, that is very bad for the global negotiators of trade. That is very bad for national security. Welcome back to Face the Nation. The release of Brittany Griner from Russia is putting focus on other Americans held hostage abroad, including Ahmad Shargi, who has been detained in Iran since 2018. He was sentenced without trial to 10 years in prison. Joining me now is his wife, Bahre Shargi, and their two daughters, Ariana and Hannah. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having us here, Margaret. I know it's never easy to talk about this, but it's important. It, there has been a lot that has happened since we last spoke uh, inside Iran and with these hostages released. Bahre, what was your reaction when you heard that Brittany Griner was released? I was uh, ecstatic for Brittany and her family. Um, Brittany should have never been detained. And I was very, very happy that she's back home. And it also gives me hope because it means that this can be done for others, such as my husband and other Americans who are held in Iran. So it's hopeful for yes. you. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, Ariana, you know, when Brittany Griner was released, her agent issued a letter. And it stood out to me because they said they will try to help families like yours. In fact, they named Imad in the list of those who were wrongfully detained, held for being American. Also listed Murad Tabaz, Siamak Namazi, who has been detained seven years now. He was left behind when the U.S. and Iran traded prisoners back in 2016. Do you find that all of you working together is, is making a difference? I definitely think so. I mean, we are all a part of this terrible club that no one wants to be a part of, um, but it's been really incredible to have this um, family of uh, hostage families of Americans held abroad. Um, and I, I do think that us helping each other makes a huge difference um, to get the word out, but also um, for this amazing support system um, that we've developed. Um, so I, 
do really sincerely appreciate um, the fact that Brittany is going to advocate for other hostages held abroad. Anything we can all do together, I definitely think is more powerful than just one family advocating for their own loved one. Hannah, I know uh, when we all last spoke back in June, you were all publicly asking for a meeting with President Biden and with White House officials. Yes. Have you gotten one? We have not received a meeting with him. Um, we've been asking as a family, along with the other hostage families, to meet with him for quite some time. And I just don't understand why he isn't meeting with us. I think it would make a big difference to sit down with him. I want to tell him about my dad. I want to tell him how scared we are, how pressing this matter is, and how time sensitive it really is. I mean, our father could have been killed in the Evian fire. We this didn't is a, hear a fire at a prison where your father's being held back yes. in October. Yes, so there was a fire and the riots at the prison where he is being held. Um, we didn't hear from him for two days. We didn't know if he was alive or not. Um, he inhaled t um, tear gas and smoke from the fires, and it just shows that this is a really pressing issue and there's really no time to wait. We don't know really what's going to happen day to day. So I just want to sit down with the president and tell him our story and ask that he does everything he can to bring our dad home. I mean, we live in Washington, D.C. We'll come anytime he has, he has available for us. Did you receive any response from the White House to your public calls? We did. We wrote as uh, the families, uh, Iranian families, the Iranian-American families, uh, to the president, and we did get an acknowledgement of the letter but that was it. I have seen no signs. It's just been talk, but nothing really to show us that he's doing anything or his administration really to bring Ahmad and the other Americans home. You know, Ariana, with the prisoners in Iran, this is a really tough situation. Um, the U.S. nuclear talks with Iran appear to be crumbling. You have Iran now helping Russia in Ukraine. For the White House, does it raise a risk by meeting with you? Do you think there's a, a good reason for them not to meet with you? Or do you feel like you're being treated differently? Um, frankly, I don't think there's a good reason not to meet with us. I mean, we're Americans, um, first and foremost, um, before even just being a hostage family. Um, but also, if Biden um, and his administration could have the, the, the courage um, and the, the fortitude to get Britney out of Russia while Russia is in a war with Ukraine, um, then I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to get my dad out of Iran. It's clear that they have the, the skills and the tools to, to make these difficult negotiations and to, to make the, the hard but correct decisions. Secretary Blinken uh, and the State Department has to handle a lot of these issues. Have you been in communication with them? Are they more forthcoming? The State Department has been great. Um, we talk to them often and they have, I know they have done a lot to bring our father home. But at the end of the day, I think what we really need is the White House to be more involved. That is really where the decision is going to come from at the end of the day. The president has the authority to make these kinds of big decisions, and um, that's really who we need to speak with now. Mm -hmm. um, 
You know, when I've asked uh, Secretary Blinken in the past, he says these issues are so important to him. He carries a card in his pocket with the names of the hostages. Um, But as he likes to say, the other side gets a vote. Do you get the sense that there there is a deal to be made and that there's a choice not to take it? I mean, do you have any sense of where the diplomacy is Mm. or any progress with Imad? I mean, we have always... um, asked and hoped that the issue of the JCPOA and our father's release are separate. The nuclear deal. The nuclear deal, yes. But as of now, we have seen no plan to bring our father home. That's what I'd really like to see someone say, this is the plan, we are going to execute it. But it seems that at the moment, there is no clear and concise plan to actually bring my dad and the rest of the Americans home from Iran. And you tweeted the other day a pretty powerful tweet because the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, was asked by a reporter um, about your dad on the day Brittany Griner was released. And she said she wasn't familiar with the case. You said it was crushing, absolutely crushing to hear that. Yes, um, it was definitely hard to hear that she did not know my father's name. She was not familiar with the case and deferred us to the State Department once again, she was asked the same question in June and also said that she was not familiar with his name or the case. And I just don't understand how I should have faith that my dad's going to be home if the White House doesn't even know his name. Um, you know, diplomats I talked to say they are working on this. It is just a very, very difficult situation. But you just want your husband home. How is Imad? How is he doing? What do you know about his state? Ahmad is not well. Uh, we, are, we are not well. Ahmad is thousands of miles away from us. He's an innocent American being held hostage for no good reason at all. Again, like Hannah said, and we don't hear of any plan, particular plan of how he will be brought home. Um, again, with the everything going on, with the fire, with the protests, at, Ahmad is at risk every single day, every single moment. They all are, the hostages in Iran. And we just, we just don't know why the administration doesn't use all the tools they have and the president to just encourage the administration to do what is the right thing. We are behind him. I hope that we ask all the American people to be behind the president to help support bring Ahmad and the other Americans home. It's for you. This is not at all political. No. You just want your dad back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, it's a humanitarian issue. Humanitarian issue issue at the end of the day. It's not a political issue. These are Americans and they just deserve to be home with their families. So it's, it's not political really. It's just, it's about people at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're coming up on the fourth or fifth holiday season without him? Fifth. Fifth. Yes. Yes. And, and it is. It, it, on the way here, actually, I was telling the girls, oh, wouldn't it be fun to go get a Christmas tree this weekend or today or something? And it just wouldn't be fun. And we have not gotten it. And we are waiting for Emma to come. And it happens that, in fact, December 24th is also our anniversary and yet another anniversary to be spent where Ahmad is in jail and I am here. So we just want Ahmad back home. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that. And we will keep following your story. Thank you so much for talking about your dad and your husband. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back.
What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Before we get to our next segment, a quick follow-up. We asked the White House for a response to the Shargi family, and a spokesperson said that they have offered a meeting with the president's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, and they're working on scheduling it. Turning now to national security, we want to welcome our panel of experts, former National Security Council Russia Specialist Fiona Hill and Chris Krebs, former Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency head and a CBS News analyst. They both worked together during the Trump administration. Good morning to you both. Morning. Morning. Um, Fiona, there's so much to get to, but I want to ask about this prisoner swap. Your former colleague, John Bolton, I think your former boss, right, on the National Security Council, um, told one of my colleagues at CBS that the possibility of a boot for Whalen trade existed back then, and it wasn't made for very good reasons, having to deal with Victor Boot. Do you recall a potential prisoner swap with Russia? Yes, I do recall that. That was raised many times by the Russians, that they wanted Victor Boot. And at the time, there was also the um, drug smuggler, uh, Yaroshenko, who was ultimately swapped uh, for Trevor Reed, the other um, former Marine. They were put on the table by the Russians, making it very clear that they had every intent of trying to swap Americans that had been wrongfully detained for individuals in United States custody who were there for pretty good reasons. But do you see something particularly um, dangerous about Victor Boot? I mean, why was that swap turned down then, but it happened just this past week? Well, look, at the particular um, time, um, I also have to say here that uh, President Trump wasn't especially interested in engaging in that swap uh, for uh, also Paul Whelan. He was not particularly interested in uh, Paul's case in the way that one would have thought he would be. Uh, Ambassador Bolton uh, met with um, Elizabeth Whelan, Paul's um, sister. I was uh, at that meeting as well. There was a lot of attention being paid to this and trying to find ways of uh, arranging um, Paul's uh, release by all uh, different parts of uh, the US government. But of course, there was a big debate about Victor Boot himself. I mean, as we see now as well, the absurdity of the Russians asking for the release of uh, a notorious arms dealer, as well as somebody who'd been convicted of large-scale narcotics uh, smuggling in return for American citizens who had been um, either set up, in the case of uh, Paul Whelan, and uh, later uh, imprisoned, in the case of Trevor Reed and Brittany Griner, uh, for uh, very minor infractions uh, that would have been handled differently in different cases. It was clear that the uh, Russians were looking mm -hmm. uh, to kind of set the United States up as well. Uh, for just the kind of things that we're seeing now in terms of the roiling of our uh, domestic politics, as uh, Chairman Schiff talked about later. Right. I mean, this is all part of a political game uh, for uh, the Russian government. And that's what you have been talking about, Chris, that the, 
the spin around this that has really electrified the political body in this country? Well, I, Putin's very much tapped. Uh, tapped into the culture wars here. He understands uh, the various levers and divisions that exist in American society. And, you know, given the fact that Russia does not have a whole lot going on, you know, their military clearly is underperforming on the field in Ukraine. Economically, they are uh, a bit of a, you know, has been. This is one of the few areas that Putin still has influence and ability to shape the global narratives. And so this is one of those those things where I think Americans traveling and as abroad, as soon as you leave the United States, you have to be very mindful right. of how you may fit into these uh, these information battles back and forth. But it has become um, an attack point from Republicans, including the House Republican leader, that this swap took place um, for a Marine veteran left behind. But Fiona, you're making the point that that Marine veteran was left behind. He was captured during the Trump administration. Um, so you're arguing this is just disingenuous outcry, essentially. Look, what we have to bear in mind, as in the previous segment um, brought to the fore, is we have a lot of American citizens yeah. who are being taken by other countries for political purposes. President Biden called it a national emergency. That's absolutely right. And as Chris is saying, every single American citizen who travels abroad, um, even, look, in um, allied and uh, partner countries, if you get into you know, trouble, there's only so much that the United States can, government can do for you. And when it is a state like Russia or Iran or China or North Korea, I mean, some of them are more obvious than others, you are putting yourself at a certain degree of risk, even if you think you are just uh, basically going either for tourist purposes or to visit family or for something routine. Remember, Trevor Reed uh, was going to visit his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Paul Whelan was going to a wedding. And Brittany Griner was doing something that many other athletes do around the world, including Russian athletes here right. in the United States. If we think of Ovechkin, for example, uh, you know, playing player. one of the, you know, the, the greatest hockey players here in the United States, uh, playing uh, in, uh, for a Washington-based uh, team. They were doing something that seemed routine, seemed completely ordinary, but found themselves snarled up in uh, basically political games. And we have mm -hmm. to be mindful of the fact that uh, when governments do this, they're doing it for trading purposes, but they're also doing it to mess about in our politics. And we are falling every single time for this. The more that we fight with each other, the more that we play into their hands. And we also risk other Americans being taken because it's a way of influencing our domestic politics. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you connect all those dots there. Um, I know, Chris, you... You have been watching just the conversation we have with ourselves on social media and how inflamed it is. Um, when it comes to some of these more extreme groups, it's almost sometimes it, it sounds so absurd. And yet there are national security risks, as we saw in Germany this week, with this extraordinary arrest and attempted coup in Germany by people linked to QAnon. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't sound real, but it is. Well, the QAnon piece, I think it's a it's a reminder, confirmation that QAnon is a global phenomenon that is is catching on. And, and actually, I think in part what we're seeing now is that it's broadening and it's almost becoming mainstream. Uh, we have this attempted coup in Germany. We have January 6th and the efforts to overturn the January 2020 uh, or the, the 2020 election that was Q adjacent as well. Uh, the, these things are, are catching on and they're informing much more radical behaviors, both at a national level and as a local level. And I think in part, some of the things that we're seeing uh, with the attacks on the electrical grid, for instance, are may not be Q, but they are extremists. They are online. They're white supremacist groups that are you know, pulling down and developing playbooks. Right. And so there are national level efforts, but there are also local level efforts. And, and a lot of this is just due to the broader information ecosystem 
and how virulent uh, these conspiracy theories and efforts to, uh, you know, overcome normal civil society. The Homeland Security Secretary said that it did appear in North Carolina that attack was deliberate, but it's early. Are you saying you believe there is evidence that it is tied to organized domestic extremists? So that, I think, is is still a, a large question mark and the investigators are taking a look at. But the attack itself on that facility, that substation in Moore County, was unquestionably deliberate. The the tactics they that the attackers used, multiple, you know, two different substations, and then going in and targeting very specific critical equipment in that site, it, there's no question that it was premeditated, that it was coordinated, it was deliberate. Combine that with the fact that there were half a dozen uh, similar sorts of events in the Pacific Northwest. There have been events in, in throughout the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, sh- it says to me that, that there is something broader going on here, and perhaps we are paying more attention now. Um, but but there is a, a significant threat to the to our nation's critical infrastructure. And right now, both the utility operators as well as law enforcement, I think, are doing a hard look at what needs to change and how do we counter this threat. Fiona, when you were with us in October um, 2021, you said something that stuck in my brain ever since, where you uh, talked about the election cycles of 2022 and 2024 being potential vehicles for potential violence. And you called January 6th a dress rehearsal. Are you as concerned now as you were then about the stability of the country? I'm, let's just say, a bit more cautiously optimistic uh, than I, I was back then. I mean, I think all alarms and red lights uh, were flashing on every front for all of us at that particular juncture. You know, we've actually seen much more careful handling on every front of um, uh, recent elections, including the midterms, people being uh, more circumspect uh, uh, about what's happening. Of course, we've got the uh, committee. We just had uh, Chairman uh, Schiff uh, mm-hmm. on the programme and the work that they're doing, uh, which is, I think, played a, a very important role for a lot of Americans in sort of seeing how everything unfolded and people waking up. Uh, to this, the risks of just so much acrimony mm-hmm. uh, in our politics. Now, it doesn't mean to say that we're out of the woods. Yeah. And actually, as Chris is saying, we've got an awful lot of groups who've been fired up by all of this. And they also take inspiration from international events. Right. And so it isn't a coincidence, as we've been talking about, that you've had this uh, coup attempt in mm-hmm. Germany. And there are linkages among all of these events because mm-hmm. there are certain groups that flow backwards and forwards and they link on the internet and they have uh, personal direct uh, connections. And so we are still in a yeah. dangerous time where we need to be vigilant and thinking about our resilience. Thank you for connecting all those dots. We'll be back in a moment. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Jamie Dimon was in West Baltimore last week to mark the opening of Chase Bank's latest community branch, part of a $30 billion program that helps underserved communities improve banking access, financial education and economic mobility. 
We asked him about the community banking program and the gaps that J.P. Morgan Chase hopes to address. So in coming in here, J.P. Morgan has to change some of the parameters because you're reaching people who are unbanked. Yes. How do you know if someone is creditworthy if yeah. they've never owned a home, they've never had a bank account? When you're here and you ask and you know the neighborhoods and you work with government, you do multiple things, you can do, use other facts that are not used in traditional underwriting. Like, do you, have you paid rent for 10 years? So you and I would both say if there is a, a mother or father or family paying rent for 10 years, that's a good credit sign. So we, we take a little bit of a stretch on that. The government here came up with a very special program to, to put in the seed money to rehab fit the whole block. Once they rehab the whole block, we can step in and start making mortgages so people can buy the homes and live there. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there are multiple paths to do it. On the Entrepreneur of Color Fund that we do, small businesses, you know, we, get, we give them an advisor too. That gives us great comfort that they're doing the right things. In this moment we're in right now, um, you have mortgage rates, what, about 7%? Six and a half, yeah. yeah. It's hard to get access, but the Fed's also trying to cool off a, a housing market yeah. bubble. We look right through that, and we will look past the actual rates. And remember, the, the important thing about mortgages, and this is why I do criticize some public policy sometimes, mortgages are how most Americans got their, their net worth. Right. And if you can't get a smaller mortgage to buy a house, it's hard to build your net worth. Mortgages are also, by the way, how often people funded their small business start. So it is absolutely critical. And you know, one of the things that we've been trying to change a little bit is because of all excessive rules now, and I'm talking about things that would make risk worse, about origination, servicing, securitization, the cost of a small mortgage mm-hmm. is probably 50 basis points higher than it should be. So that $150,000 mortgage or $200,000 mortgage is less affordable by a lot of people. And that's because of regulatory policy. That's not because of bank policy. The critic would say a big, bad Wall Street bank is loading debt onto poor people. How do you respond to that? We're not trying to load debt on anyone. We want to make good mortgages. We want to do good small business loans. We want to educate people on how to open an account, how to save money. We've got uh, you know, products that are special for lower income right. communities and stuff like that. We are going to do that. It is good for this community. We'll be right back. Thank you all for watching. We'll be right here next Sunday. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were House Intelligence Chair Congressman Adam Schiff, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, the wife and daughters of Imad Sharki, an American held hostage in Iran, former top national security officials Fiona Hill and Chris Krebs. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Spoiler alert, it's neither. At Happy Egg, we believe happiness of the hens is what actually came first. Because without happy hens, there would be no such thing as happy eggs. You know, eggs with delicious orange yolks. 
Those come from hens who are raised the happy way on eight plus acres of family owned farms. Choose happy at happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad free on Wondery Plus.